Uh, We are in Philippians, and today we're going to look at three verses. And so far through this book, what we've learned is that Paul has this resolve. He is a man. And that resolve comes from his confidence in Christ and the work thereof. He has a confidence in the man of Jesus that has inspired not only others that that are following Christ all the way from Jerusalem west through Europe, but specifically a church called Philippi that had this, this encouraging resolve that even with persecution, even with struggle, even when circumstances changed, they trusted him and they could stand firm. They were strong in their faith. And today, there's going to be um, a continuation in those first, these next three verses, the first of which starts with two words, whatever happens. Whatever happens, do not lose your mind. Whatever happens, be uh, one who is worthy to wear the name Jesus. Conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of Jesus. Like hold true and watch yourself. How many of you ever struggle when circumstances change, you kind of struggle to keep your, your head about yourself? Sometimes, how many of you like change? Change is hard. Well, here's the thing. He wants to encourage his change to become more like Christ and less like ourselves. And when we face circumstances that are out of our control, Hope says, choose joy. Choose to actively choose the Lord's way. And I I don't know about you, but I never struggle with that. It's perfect. Every time I get hit with a life-changing event, immediately, what would Jesus do in my mind, right? I hope that uh, you know I'm joking, but in, in this, like, I think that we're all human. And, and I think that we all identify how difficult that is. It's not the natural tendency. And so today, as we open the word, I wanna ask you to stand. I wanna read through these three verses and we're gonna seek to choose actively the Lord. We're gonna seek to choose joy and to trust him. Philippians 1, 27 through 30 says this, whatever happens, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Father, this morning, as we just turn our eyes to you, may you open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. And we pray that you would bless your word as we seek to ingest it and apply it. We love you and thank you. It's in your name we ask. Amen. You may be seated. Our first point today is we are called to have the conduct of Christ, the conduct of Christ. And so he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word conduct is a combo word. It's a combination word. It's pronounced in the Greek politiomai, politiomai. It is two words, polis and monin are put together. And it's where we get our our English word polite, but polis is where we get the English word city. Okay. So it like much like metropolis. So city and monin is holy conduct, holy conduct. So what he is saying is conduct yourself worthy of citizenship. 
And so it is connected to uh, do not reflect on your polis or on your city something that is unbecoming of a citizen of this place. And so what they understood as he couples it with worthy of the gospel of Christ is that you are to conduct yourself as a citizen of heaven. This would be contextually, um, this would make sense to them. This would be contextually accurate, a really astute way to teach this specifically to this church. Can I have the map for a moment? I'm gonna bring it up and I'll show you again where he's writing from, where they are and what we're looking at here, okay? so. Jerusalem, again, all the way down in the right-hand corner. Philippi there at the top of your screen in the middle. Rome, 800 miles to the west. He's writing to Philippi, who is in Greece, Macedonia. It's a Greek society, okay? And Greeks and Romans both were people that were far more community-minded. They understood their life, uh, if their skills, their talents, they belonged to the people. They were more a people serving the society and the greater masses than they were themselves. And so if you had a talent, it, you were a person of the state, a person of the people. But the difference in Philippi here is Philippi treated themselves as Roman. So they were a Roman colony. Uh, you know, how many of you remember the term mini-me? Like, a little Rome, that's what they actually called themselves. There were little Roman colonies all throughout Philippi being one of them. Though they sat in the middle of Greece, they chose to follow Caesar. They chose to follow Roman polity, follow Roman education system, to dress like Romans, to name their kids like Romans, to eat Roman food. They were like Italians in the middle of Greece. And so, so they... There was this concept at the time, it really was more ethereal than it was accurate, but it kind of set up what we have today in our consulate, uh, our consulate structure. They believed in what they called the Italian right. And so even though they were on Greek soil, they could treat themselves as Roman or Italian if they so choose. And so while you know people in Macedonia are trying to have them over for dinner and they're like serving them falafel, they're going, is there meat in this? It looks like a meatball, you know, we're, we're Italians, you know, so, hello. So, so like these people are living in a culture outside of their own. And so they understood being something different and representing something different in the greater construct around you. The city was like traveling into Rome, though you were in the middle of Macedonia or Greece present day. And so what he was saying, if you understand this, if you understand Roman citizenship, then all the more so, I need the church at Philippi to rec represent that you're a citizen of heaven, to recognize that you're a people that aren't even of Rome, not even of this place. That's just temporal. It's far more important you be known as a little Christ than a little Roman in Macedonia. Okay, Christian meaning little Christ. It's more important that you conduct yourselves worthy of the message of Jesus because that's the only thing that gives us strength. That's the only thing that gives us the power to continue to make it through this persecution and trial and struggle of the first century. It's the only thing that strengthens me. So it's far more important that you conduct yourselves as citizens of heaven than citizens of Rome, which they took some pride in. And he says, conduct yourselves worthy of the good news or the gospel, which was that we were sinners in a sinful world. Now I need to just like, like, let's go back and look at what he's asking. We were sinners in a sinful world, unable to free ourselves of the bondage of sin. 
unable to free ourselves of the punishment that comes with being a bondservant to sin. There's nothing, absolutely nothing we could do. So the father in his grace sends Jesus, his son, as both lamb and lion. Lamb, who would be sacrificial and take our sin upon himself, but lion as victor over the grave. And for those of us that have allowed it and have trusted in this, God's plan, the gospel, he was placing Christ, uh, like our unrighteousness on Christ as that lamb and then taking his righteousness and transferring it to us after victoriously defeating the grave. So for those of us who receive this gift, and it's truly a gift, our unrighteousness on him, his righteous acts, his righteousness on us. And that exchange, Paul is saying, remove the condemnation and penalty as slaves to sin forever. Like it was never going to be a problem again. And so in turn, it makes us citizens of heaven forever, eternally secure, saved in his presence as children of God. Not because of what we do, but because of what he did. And, and no amount of evil after the fact can rip us from the hand of God if we were truly repentant and truly received that gift. Forever his, children of God, no longer children of wrath. He took our punishment so we wouldn't have to. He died in our place as a substitute for what we truly deserved. And how many of you, if I were to ask you right now this morning, do you feel more like a sinner or more like a saint? You raise your hand on sinner nearly every time. Because we understand the weight of sin that we were under. It's really hard sometimes to consider ourselves because we know ourselves and our own faults to call ourselves saints. But because of that transfer, we can't really, we can't be called in the new life, those who are alive, no longer dead, sinners. Because sinners are going to suffer spiritual death in hell forever. That's, that's the punishment for sin and a life never repentant unto Jesus, one who lives for themselves, one who's selfish. They're going to set apart in hell in punishment forever. But in him, in him, in Christ, which is the title of today's message, we are set apart in heaven forever. Paul says this dramatic and life-changing exchange has taken place. And since you've trusted in it, he's asking you live by it. He's asking, remember, to conduct yourselves as though you trusted this. Actually walk the talk. Stop letting yourself off the hook so much. I mean, it is a gracious society we live in, but like, like practice what you preach. Like walk as if you trust us. This is actually your primary role in citizenship. This is your primary citizenship. More than being Roman, more than being Nashvillian, you are Christian. It exceeds all others. It is your truest identity for those who are in Christ. It exceeds identifying as any, any country, Greek, Roman, or culture of America. They were proud to be Romans. He asked them to be more proud to be Christian. Now, here's the thing. I want to give you an example of what I mean by this. I had, um, I've had several friends go off to the military, okay? I had a friend, even when I was in eighth grade, go to military school. And all of them have, a, have this, this response, because I think that we, we have a tendency to wrestle with one word in this verse, and that is worthy. That conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Because so many of us have a tendency in our legalistic mindsets and believing that you have to earn everything in life, we have this tendency to believe that we have to be perfect. And that's not what that says. So I have friends who went off, many of them, you know, for good reason, you don't go to military school because you just like want to, you know? They don't go because they're good citizens or good civilians who follow the rules. Many of them went away because they were the opposite of that. And you probably have friends like them. But here's the thing. I grew up with these people and when they came back weeks, months later, after boot camp, I would see them and I'd look at them and be like, you know, like they look familiar, I see them, but there's something about them now that has fundamentally changed. There's something about them from, like their worldview is completely different now. I see one person who was completely unruly before, didn't follow the instructions, broke the rules and got sent to the military or to military school. And, and now, now they're saluting everyone. And now they are chivalrous. And now they have this persona of them that thinks of others first and takes in their surroundings. And, and it's not that they just put on a uniform, like something about them at the core of who they are has fundamentally changed. And so they look different, like their exterior is an expression of that change. Not perfect, but in fact, a soldier. Does it make sense? So if we have fundamentally changed the core of who we are in Christ, then that should be expressed by the way we act and conduct ourselves. It should be evident to all around us that we are no longer the unruly civilian that we once were, but that we are soldiers in the army of Christ. Get a little preschool here. And that we've fundamentally changed and our expression has changed because of who we, our worldview is now different. And we're not selfish, but selfless. That we look and take in our surroundings. We think more about others than we do ourselves. That we are at a different place. Brings me to the next point. He asks that we all do that. That you're not alone in this. That we be in cooperation for Christ. That we together spurn one another on for the sake of the gospel and the advance of the kingdom. That we move this thing forward together. How many of you uh, ever played team sports? Okay, like how many of you know the concept of like you have an assignment, but we're all in this because we have a bigger aim. The bigger aim is the win or the championship at the end of the season. We, I play this role, but he's doing this and doing this. And if we all do our assignment, we will be able to hopefully accomplish that which we're after, our goals. If you were watching the Florida-Miami game last night as a Florida fan, apparently our goal is to help Miami win. Like I, collectively, I don't know why we didn't have the goal to win ourselves, but we wanted to hand them the game, I, I suppose. I, but we were in cooperation over it. Like we were doing the same thing, moving in the same direction. He says, be in cooperation in Christ. Let me read it to you. It says in verse 25b, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Let me, how many of you like me look forward to that, that uh, annual road trip with your kids every year? You know, and you might, you might be like, it may be that one year where you're gonna like 
do the big trip to Disney or out west or whatever it is, right? And so you took off time, you were saving money, you were making a plan, got everything packed up for yourself and all the kids got packed up. And it is amazing. Everyone's excited. Everyone's anticipating like going. Sometimes the kids can't sleep at night. I love that. Like it's like they're just waiting to get in the car. Christmas morning's coming. And the moment we get in the car, we get down the road and it's just glorious to hear, he's touching me. He hit me. It's not fair coming from the back of the van, making you rethink everything about your life. Like, I'm so glad that I took off time to do this right here. I'm so glad I saved all this money and I'm spending hundreds, sometimes thousands for them to do this to me. And I genuinely believe it is an intentional attack. We're going to drive dad crazy. We want to see an aneurysm. No, what's glorious is when your kids are harmonious and the kids get together and they work together and you hear, Father, my brother would like to use the restroom now. I'm thinking more about him than I am myself. That's why he's watching the show that he wanted and we're reading the book, whatever it is. Like, just like for us as parents, we're going somewhere and we've anticipated great things and all we desire is that they respect that and we love when they're harmonious. It's like, can't, can't we just like get along like all of us? The father looks at his kids, you and I, and he goes, guys, like, come on, really? Come on. Can we not just be in harmony here? Like, it's not... It's not such a problem as like we think on the surface, like, you know, we have different denominations and different strands of the evangelical thing. And we go, oh, well, that makes sense. And someone believes this, someone believes this. Here's the thing. I don't think it's even that simple. I think that kind of makes him ill. I think that causes God heartache. It's when even within our own body, the place where we come and bump elbows every week, we can't seem to get along. And how many of you, maybe not here, have heard of a church somewhere in America where people just have trouble getting along? We've never experienced that here. But we pray for those who do, right? You know what I'm saying? It breaks the heart of God and we have to recognize that he wants us to work together in cooperation for Christ, for the gospel. There's a bigger thing at play here and we all have to do our part and we need to think of others more so than we do ourselves. That's why John the Baptist prayed, less of me, more of him. Let's move this thing forward. Galatians 3.23 says, before coming to this faith, we were held in custody under the law, shocked, or locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed, so that the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by our faith in him. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. We don't have that weight. So verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all, listen, all of us, this is, this is where the unity thing, for all of you were baptized into Christ and have been clothed with Christ. 
There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's nothing separating us anymore. That he wants his children to get along and to move this thing forward together. He wants us to have courage in Christ. Third point. He wants us to trust it's not our works, but his that did this. Verse 28. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. How many of you have ever met opposition because of your faith system, your belief in Jesus? You met some opposition. Maybe you got ridiculed a little bit. Now, I, I, we are talking here about suffering for the cause of Christ. And I want to be clear, we will probably never face the kind of complications, the kind of suffering that Philippi did. Or, or Paul did because they were fighting for this faith that gives us the ability to worship freely here today during the first century of the apostolic age. And so we have to be able to honor that, respect it. We cannot just simply treat that as old hat. We've got to recognize they did something. They fought for something. And if we are gonna be worthy of the gospel and worthy of honoring what they did to give us this right, then we ought to try to get along and face the suffering that does come our way with a little bit of resolve. In fact, let's look at Paul, what Paul walked through again, okay? Now, we, again, it's likely we're not gonna face this kind of road, but you might face some suffering. There might be some complication that come. There may be some things that, that cause you ridicule for the sake of Christ, but here it is. He went through five times or received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. The, exceeding maximum of the law. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked and I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been bit by a venomous snake. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers and dangers from bandits and dangers from my own countrymen and danger from the Gentiles and danger in the city and danger in the country and in danger at sea and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. <laughs> More than all this stuff that I've gone through, I'm concerned about the well-being and the unity of the church who is weak. He desires that we would have confidence in the Lord and his work, that, that change, that transfer, he, the Lord Jesus, because the Father planned it, changed our unrighteousness, took it and placed it upon Jesus, and he took our sin, what we deserved, and he took his righteousness and placed it on us, and then he placed his spirit within us as a seal for all time, for all eternity. We have to recognize this life that we've been adopted into because of what Jesus did is completely polar to what we came from. It's a polar existence to the one we left in the culture that surrounds us. So we should look different and we shouldn't be ashamed of that. In Isaiah 5, it says that we are to no longer be put to shame. Romans 1, 6, that I am not ashamed of the gospel. And instead of stooping to the lows of all of humanity in our own old selfish ways, Maybe, maybe part, like how many of you recognize when I use that soldier picture, like they look different. They look like they've been called up to something greater 
and they like embrace that. How many of you ever had a coach that inspired you to move forward and you were like, you exceeded your own expectations, move beyond yourself. That's what he's calling us to do. He's like, call others up. Call them up and out like you've been called up and out. No one gets inspired by the dude on the Barca lounger. You know what I'm saying? Like, like when we look at Braveheart, the movie, and we watch that famous speech by William Wallace at the end where he's leading the Scots basically into their death. And they're vastly outnumbered by the English and they go, hey, we're gonna turn and run. He goes, no, you can run and you'll live for a minute. But like, what about like when you die one day, are you gonna be guilty your entire life wishing you could come back right here and fought for something? Like stood for something for a moment. That's inspiring. I mean, like you saw their entire mindset shift and everyone was like ready to go. I was standing up watching the movie and I'm not even in the fight. I wanted to be Scottish and wear a kilt. My hairs are on end. I'm like, I'm motivated, I'm inspired. Why does the church no longer inspire culture? Because it's weak. And he says, be confident. Do not be weak. We, we don't liken the persecution that we take to that of the apostolic age. It may never be that severe, but however, your persecution is not that you got to the last chip in the bag and you sprained your wrist turning the channel. You know what I'm saying? The HBO went out. How many of you recognize life is a little more difficult than that? And it is not just for you, for everyone watching you and me. Are we gonna be Barca Lounger inspiring? Are we gonna be William Wallace inspiring? We are to be challenged on behalf of Christ. Let me read it to you. Verse 28b, it says, this is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but that you'll be saved and that by God you are saved. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and I also suffered for him. Now, I wanna just kind of encourage you with this statement as we kind of wrap this up. Listen, here's what he's saying. Your natural tendency and my natural tendency is to self-preserve. He's saying our mindset needs to shift, that we've been granted We've been gifted. It's actually um, the word charismo, which is rooted in charis, which is Greek for grace. That you are graced the opportunity in two ways to not only believe in him, but to also suffer for him. And in your suffering, move from a place of self-preservation where you know to do whatever you can to defend yourself and seek justice and prove for yourself advancement. He says, get rid of that. Like lose that, live or die, doesn't matter. Like if I make it, doesn't matter. Live as Christ to die as gain. What I desire you to do is persevere. Be one who can take it, be inspiring. Be someone who trusts in the work of Jesus and that confidence in that moves you forward to handle all the changing circumstances in your life. Those are completely out of your control. It inspires those around you who are dead in sin and have no hope to have hope because they know that you live and trust in something bigger than yourself. They see your faults, they see your frailties. How many of you, if I were to go to your work and ask them about you, they'd be shocked you were even here on Sunday morning. They'd be shocked 
because of the way you respond to life. Or maybe they wouldn't be shocked, but maybe they'd be a little confused. Maybe they'd be confused because the person who shows up here in order to worship and praise the Lord is not the person they're getting in the office. In the office, someone who seeks to self-preserve. Here, we hear a message of perseverance, the complete opposite. James 1.12 promises there is a crown of life that awaits us. Let me read it to you. It says this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Paul's encouraging Philippi that they were in Christ and thus he was calling them up and calling them out to join him in imitating Christ. First of all, first question today as we move to a time of response, are you in Christ? I mean, it's, it's the gift that I just talked about. It's nothing you can do, nothing you earn. He offered it to you out of love and you can literally have his righteousness transferred upon you by receiving said gift and repenting of a sin, sinful life and one that is selfish that seeks to just preserve. And he'll take, the father will take your unrighteousness, place it on Jesus and there's a transfer, like in a complete exchange. And for those of us who who've had our lives changed forever by that. We moved from death to life. Like we had the weight of the world taken off of us the moment we trusted. And we felt the relief of that. You might be here tonight or this morning, you still need that relief. And I want you to know there are people here who've had it. I have had it. And the challenge for us who have had that relief is to continue to always go back to that moment and remember that relief, that place removed from life to death and continue to imitate Christ. Are you imitating Christ? those of you who are in Christ, does the world around you see it? Because there is a truth. Without a cross, there is no crown. He was sacrificial lamb and he was lion. And for all who have been called by his name, he says that those who suffer with Christ shall also one day, James 1, will reign with him. So this morning, if you're here and you go, my life is not that. It's not resolved. It's not founded. It's not solid. It's a mess. Hey, look around. You're in good company. When circumstances change, we all kind of lose it, but we don't have to. We are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you can be in Christ and have your life changed forever and the weight of the world taken off your shoulders today. So Father, as we come, people of your word, people of your son, those grafted in, adopted into your family because of the work of Jesus, we pray that we would not only walk worthy of being in Christ in this room, but we would imitate Christ outside of this room. And we ask Jesus that you'd move upon our heart right now and tell us the place where we need to put down those those places that we raise up next to you, the places that stand in front of us, that cause us to stumble. Keep us from doing just that and walking worthy of the conduct in the manner of Jesus as citizens of heaven. And Father, for the person here today who's lost and afraid, chaos, without Christ, without hope, 
May you move on their heart today in such a violent way that they don't leave this room till they find their hope by receiving that gift, relieving their chaos, and God responding and repenting in Jesus' name.